Well, friends, it is great to be with you in Medina today. And uh, I am so pumped for what God has done, for what he is going to do through this community, through this campus. The building is getting much closer to completion. Jeff and I were up there this week. He was up there more. Joe was up there. Lots of people have been volunteering and painting and prepping, but it's getting close to completion, which is fantastic. It's very exciting. We're going to be able to do so much through having a permanent location here in Medina. But you and I both know that God is not limited to working just within the walls of a building. Amen. He uses us wherever we go when we are willing to be obedient to him. Jesus can do amazing things through us once we recognize that our identity is in him. And that's what we've been really discussing over the last few weeks as we've walked through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. We've been talking about identity. And we wrap up this series today by looking at chapter 3. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 3, you can use your Bibles, your Bible apps on your phone, or it will be on the screen as well. And I'm just going to basically summarize the whole thing for you. Because here in this chapter, Paul shares three key points to the believers in Ephesus that further clarify their identity in Christ. And those three things are very applicable to our lives today. But before we begin, let me just open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning, I just pray for open hearts and minds. God, I pray for fertile soil that uh, this seed would be planted and that it would multiply a hundredfold so that uh, lives can be won, God, so that people can be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're tracking along with me, Go ahead and get out your pens, your outlines that you were handed when you came in and jot this down. Here's the first thing that we see Paul talk about. In Christ, there is a mystery. In Christ, there's a mystery. Y'all say mystery. Mystery. All right. Remember back in chapter one of this book, we learned that in Christ, we are chosen. We're holy. We're blameless. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're loved. We're adopted. And if we've accepted Christ, then every single one of those statements is true about us, whether we believe them or not, whether we feel like it or not. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's all because of who Christ is. So if you are in him, then you become like him. And here in chapter 3, Paul tells us that in Christ, there is also a great mystery. How many of you like to read a good mystery book? Anybody? So I did too. That's one of my favorite genres. And I'm not a very avid book reader now, but I was as a kid more so. And the books that I read as a kid were the Hardy Boys Mysteries. Y'all remember them? So uh, that's what I read, the original set. I found out that they were actually printed, 1927 was the first one that was released. And there were 58 books in that original set all the way to 1979. That was all before I was born. But I loved those books. Somehow I got a copy of them. And out of that 58 set, I read probably 20 to 25 of those books. I just could not put them down. They were so exciting to me. I think that's why I enjoy watching a good mystery movie now, right? I just, it keeps me on the edge of my seat and it keeps me very engaged. And I think that's also why I've always been very intrigued with magic, magic. So I used to love watching those David Copperfield Saturday night specials that would come on ABC or NBC and just stay up. And I could not figure out how in the world he could make that one card that I had thought in my mind show up on the screen. Y'all remember that? 
or how he could make that thing disappear. And it always intrigued me. It was a great mystery to me. Now, I know that for some Christians, magic is like a swear word, right? You don't talk about it in church, and you definitely don't practice it. But I'm not one of those people. I think there can be a lot of fun had with very simple magic tricks. Because honestly, there's really no magic going on at all. Let me just show you an example. So I've got a coin here, a little 50-cent piece. Zach, make sure it's a real coin. That's pretty good. And he's, he's a drummer on the stage. He might lie about it. Joe, you're not on stage. Make sure that's not a, a fake coin. Don't put, I need the coin. I need that for my, for my trick. Uh, that's right. Ken, I'm going to make it disappear. You already know this, right? Joe's going to make I'm going to make it disappear. So I need y'all's help to count to three. All right. Can you count to three? One, two. All right. Can everybody snap? Okay. All right. So we're going to count to three. I'm going to put this coin in my hand, and it's going to disappear. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, it's magic. Let's do it one more time. Let me get on stage so you can see. Maybe it's too dark down there. All right, we'll do it one more time. One, two, three. It's gone, right? You guys know where it is. It's in this hand. Okay, very simple, very simple. But let me tell you how to do this trick. I Googled it, looked it up. I said, I want to do something for the audience that will make them just blow their minds. So here you go. You have to just hold, get a 50-cent piece. Um, you pinch it with your thumb and your middle finger, and you have to hold your, your thumb on top. And when you go to grab the coin in this hand, all you simply do is drop the 50-cent piece, grab it, you pull your thumb through, and it makes it look like you're grabbing the coin, but you're really just releasing it. That's why it takes a lot of practice. I've been practicing this for two weeks now. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully it was good for you. Yeah. Look like I practiced it once, right? So... Thank you, thank you. Now that you know the mystery, now that I've revealed the mystery to you, you can take that and share it with somebody else. You can do this at your house for your kids or for your spouse, or you can uh, show it at a party that you're at. Now that I've revealed the mystery, you can share it. And that's really the point that Paul makes here in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Read this out loud with me. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't the first reference to this great mystery. In fact, Ephesians 1, 8, and 9, Paul writes, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And in Colossians chapter 1, a different letter to different Christians in a different city, he says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Greek word for mystery is the word mysterion, and it's used 27 times in the New Testament. Paul actually writes about it 20 of those 27 times. And mysterion most often refers to a divine truth that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. That's what it means, a divine truth, a spiritual truth that was once hidden, but is now revealed. Many ancient religion in Paul's day, they had secret doctrines that only a select few were privy to know about, but not in Christianity. 
all has been revealed by Jesus. Therefore, the mystery that Paul writes about is this. Salvation is available to everyone through Christ. I want you to say that with me. Salvation is available to everyone through Christ. That's it. That's the mystery that he speaks of. You see, there were still many Jews who thought that only they could be set apart for Jesus because of their heritage, because of their upbringing, because of where they were born. They shunned everyone else who was not of their descent. They kicked them out of the synagogues and out of the church club. But Paul put a stop to all of that by saying Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body through Christ. This was a message he repeated over and over wherever he went to all the believers. He said salvation is available to everyone through Jesus. He continues, verses 10 and 11, look at this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? It means that all things have been accomplished, that all knowledge has already been revealed. There is nothing new that needs to be discovered. Jesus took care of it all. No new revelations. And then the Holy Spirit inspired people to write about it in this book so that you and I could freely read it and study it and meditate on it and learn from it and grow in him. And that leads us to the second point that we learn about our identity. Through faith, we have power. Through faith, we have power. Ephesians 3.17, I want you to read this with me, please. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. One more time. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's the key. Through faith. Other places Paul writes about this. Romans 3.22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. Romans 5.1. We have been justified, what? Through faith. One chapter earlier, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, oftentimes people will misinterpret this scripture and they think that the gift God has given us is faith, but that's not actually true. The gift God has given us is grace. So what is grace? The best definition I ever heard was an acrostic, and it's in your outline. You can write this down. It's G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, his salvation, his forgiveness, eternal life at Christ's expense. He paid for it on the cross. We did not. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it, but we freely can receive it through faith. The only way to receive that gift, the only way for Christ to dwell in our hearts is through faith. The New Testament teaches that faith is expressed when we believe that Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. When we repent of our sins, when we confess him as our master, as our Lord, our Savior, and when we're baptized in his name. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never made that decision, you're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end of service, just like we do every single week. Jeff or I would love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you make that best decision ever. Because here's what happens. Not only do you receive salvation and forgiveness and eternity in heaven, you also receive a great power. Look at Ephesians 3.16. Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives when we become a Christian. Through faith, we have power. It's a power unlike anything else we've ever known. But the question becomes, what do we do with that power, right? What do we do with it? Well, what did Paul do with it? When you look at his life, Paul traveled the country. He planted churches. He preached the word. He baptized believers. He became a humble servant. He did whatever, and he went wherever the Spirit led him. Did anything the Spirit asked him to do. Ephesians 3, 7 through 9, he says, I became a servant for this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He wants to make plain to everyone that salvation is available to all through Jesus. That's what Paul did. But the question again is what can you do with this Holy Spirit power? Maybe you can't travel the world planning churches. Maybe you can't take the time to speak to government and religious leaders. But you know what you can do? You can walk across the street and invite someone to church. You can start a small group in your home where you share a meal and study God's word together. You can sign up to help at church as a greeter or serving coffee or teaching children or helping run the tech stuff in the back. You can be generous and pay for the person behind you in the drive-thru, just leaving them that simple art card, that act of random kindness, letting them know that God loves them and that they matter. You can show grace to the person at Target who cussed you out for taking their parking spot. True story that happened to my wife not long ago. I see some people turning their heads. That's happened to you before, right, girls? Yeah, crazy. This 75-year-old guy just lets Brie have it, says every explicative in the book because she took the parking spot that he wanted. You can show grace when that happens. My point is this. There are lost people. There are hurting people. There are hungry people, there are lonely people, there are confused people everywhere. We just need the eyes to see them and the willingness to act on it. Give me your eyes. That's something we can do with the Holy Spirit power that we've got. One thing that I choose to do specifically is to pray. And I pray specifically for my children. Every day I pray this same prayer. God, help my children, Paley, Pryor, and Perrin, to grow spiritually and help them to be Jesus to everybody that they meet. I pray that every day for them. My wife and I want to instill those goals in our kids, spiritual growth and maturity, and that they show love like Jesus did. You know, we've never prayed for our kids to be perfect. That's impossible, right? I don't care what parents you ask, no child is perfect. We've never prayed for them to be the top of their class straight-A students. It'd be nice if they were, but it's okay if they're not. We've never prayed for them to be the best athletes in the school. Once again, it's okay if they are, it's okay if they're not. Because the truth is, in the end, none of those things matter at all. What matters is that they know who they are in Christ and that they grow in him daily. What matters is how much they love others by choosing to live like Jesus. That's it. You see, Christ will judge us on none of those things. It's, we don't get into heaven because of our grades 
or our trophies or our awards or our title or our money or how successful our business is. It's by God's grace through faith that we get to enter heaven. And that faith has to be grounded in identifying yourself with Jesus, choosing to love others like him every single day. So if you've got children, I don't care how old they are, if you've got children, I want to encourage you to pray that same prayer over them. Pray it out loud for them so that they hear you praying because you as a parent are the greatest influencer in their lives. Spend time building them up in prayer daily. Plant those spiritual seeds so that they will take root and so that they'll grow, so that when they're older, they won't turn away from the faith. But guess what? That prayer isn't just for kids. That's something that you need to be praying for yourself daily. God, help me to grow spiritually today. God, help me to be Jesus to every single person that I encounter today. I can promise you this. The more often you pray that prayer, the more open your eyes will be to the needs of others around you. The more you will be able to see the world through God's eyes. And that takes us to the last point that Paul makes in this chapter. It's all for God's glory. It's all for God's glory. Read this with me as he closes, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The phrase that stands out to me there is the phrase immeasurably more. God wants to do so much more for us. We can't even fathom it. And guess what? It's all for his glory. Think about that. How many of us ask God for more things? When we're praying to God, don't we typically ask God, God, can you do something more for me? Can you give something more to me? That's the majority of our prayer life. We're asking God to do more for us. And it's easy. It's easy to, God, to ask God for more things that will fulfill us instead of glorify him. That's the goal. Not to fulfill us, but to glorify God. Here's just a, a few examples. God, I could use a little bit more success right now. I'm not as high up in the ladder at my business that I want to be, so can you help me be more successful? Or I could use a little bit more income. It is hard to keep up with the Joneses. I don't have enough to buy everything that I really want. Or I could use a little bit more respect at work because my coworkers don't appreciate anything I do. They're just total jerks. Or I, I could really use a little more attention from my spouse. She clearly doesn't recognize how awesome I am. One more. God, it would be great to have a little bit more obedience from my kids. Okay, a lot more obedience from them, right? Can you help a dad out? So those are just some prayers that a lot of people pray often. But seriously, what is the more that you are asking for? God said he's going to do immeasurably more for you. What's the more you're asking for? If it's any of those things I just mentioned, then you're missing the point. In fact, look at how Paul begins this chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the what? The prisoner, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. See, Paul isn't writing this letter from the comfort of his home in a lazy boy recliner. 
No, Paul is writing this from a damp, dark prison cell. And from there, he pens the words, God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. You see, Paul understood that the more God wants for us, it is not for our personal gain. It is not for our personal comfort. The more that God wants for us is all for his glory. And I love the fact that not one time in this letter, not once in any of his letters, does he ever ask for the Christians in Ephesus or any of the towns he go to, not once does he ask for them to pray for his comfort. Not once does he ask them to pray for his release. Instead, he spends time praying for them so that they can grow in wisdom and understanding, so that they can grow in the love and the knowledge of Christ, so that they can make an impact in this world with the life they've been given. Isn't that astounding? He doesn't pray one time for his comfort or his release or his benefit. It is always for others. Just think about Paul's life for a moment. Before he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. Before that Jesus encounter, he had everything. He was the man. He had all the right education. He had the right pedigree. He was a leader among leaders. He was very successful. He was so well respected and loved in town that everybody wanted to be like Paul. He had all the more that people spend their entire lives searching for and working for and striving for. He had it all. And guess what? With it, he was more lost than ever. Having all of those things almost cost Paul his very soul. That was until he met Jesus. Then he repented. Then he was baptized. Then the power of the Holy Spirit changed him from the inside out. He learned that his identity was not tied to anything else except his Savior, which is why he was more free sitting in that damp, dark prison cell chained to another inmate than at any other time in his life previously when he had it all. He was more free in that prison cell than he was previously to meeting Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Christ cannot get the glory if you don't use the power he's given you. Say that with me. Christ cannot get the glory if we don't use the power he's giving us. See, Paul had been supernaturally changed by the grace of God. Supernaturally changed by the grace of God. Filled with the Holy Spirit. But so have I. And so have you. And so have you. And so have you. See, there's no difference in the power. The power was the exact same. The power is the exact same. The only difference is whether or not we choose to use that power for God's glory. If I'm honest, when I look around at our community, when I look around at Medina County, I see a willingness, I see an openness, a a yearning, a desire like I've never seen before. I see people desperately wanting to be loved, to be cared for, to be accepted, to be encouraged, to be prayed for, to be forgiven. People are waiting to be told the good news about Jesus. They are waiting to hear the truth, the most important truth you could ever share, that salvation is available to everyone through Christ. 
they're waiting for that. Those lost souls may be your spouse. It may be your child. Maybe your neighbor. Could be your best friend. Could be your classmate or your coworker. I want you to know that God has great plans for them. God has immeasurably more for them that he wants to give them if only you would be so bold as to share the truth, the good news, that salvation is available to everyone through Jesus. So right now is the time to act, friends. If you've received that Holy Spirit power, let me just tell you this. You don't need to wait. You don't need to wait until you finish another Bible study class. You don't need to wait until you memorize more scripture. You don't need to wait until you pray more. You don't need to wait until you act better. Sure, we all have some unanswered questions about God, right? Who doesn't? We all have things that we want to know. We all have and yearn for more understanding of God's word. And yes, we've all said or done things that we've regretted. Things in our past that we look back on and think, man, I can't be used by God. There's no way God could use me. He can use anyone because we all have a past. We're all big screw-ups. The fact is that none of us are where we want to be spiritually. So what will you do? What will you do? When I look around at this room, and I don't know everyone's situation, but I can pretty much tell, I believe that about 99% of the people in this room are ready and equipped. Your identity is already in Christ. You're able to lay down your priorities and your finances. You're able to lay down your social agenda and your popularity status so that you pick up your cross and follow Jesus, doing whatever it takes to save lives for God's glory. So I wanna challenge you today, put your faith into practice. Invite someone to church that you know needs to come. Invite them to opening day, February 13th in our brand new facility. Or start praying for your children, praying for your spouse this week. Don't just pray for them, pray with them out loud so that they hear you praying for them. Use your gifts to volunteer at this church wherever is needed so that we can continue offering great programming and, and a great time for everyone so that God's church can grow, so that people, lost people can be saved. 99% of you are ready, but are you willing to do that? Now is the time to act. And maybe for the person in here who's never placed their faith in Jesus, what are you waiting for? You see, God wants to do immeasurably more in your life, through your life. All you have to do is accept his grace through faith. So if you have a decision to make, stand as we sing this invitation song. Come and I'd love to talk to you.